Ready with the Experts podcast. I'm your host, Fernando Coelho. We're here at Pantio Studios bringing you the very best from in and around the firearms industry, covering topics like guns, gear, firearms training, self-defense, and so much more. Everything from industry insights about the latest gear and training techniques to hunting, survival, and empty hands. But this isn't just about the guns, folks. This is about the stories military, law enforcement, and civilian stories of heroics protecting our country, fellow citizens, friends, and neighbors. MakeReady.tv is the official website of Pantier Productions and features over 5,000 segments from world-famous instructors. With new video titles added each month, MakeReady.tv is widely known as the Netflix of firearms training. However, we really do go beyond that. We have survival series. We have empty hands. We have edged weapons. We cover armorer skills. We've done documentaries, even medical and hunting. With your subscription, you will have access to an extensive library of videos. To be quite honest, we got a lot. Be sure to visit MakeReady.tv and subscribe today to stream our exclusive content to any device, anywhere, anytime. This is content that just may save your life or the life of someone you love. My name's Chris Peranto. Uh, call signs Tonto. Probably uh, more well known from 13 Hours, uh, Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, and also the book 13 Hours that uh, my team and I co-wrote with Mitchell Zukoff. I was, uh, at that point in time, I was with the Central Intelligence Agency as a global response staff operator. Before that, I was in the U.S. Army with 2nd Ranger Battalion out there in Fort Lewis, Bravo Company, and then also I was with 5th Battalion, 19th Special Forces Group later on. I started contracting in 2003, 2004 timeframe with a small little company at the time called Blackwater Security. Um, of course, they're a monstrous company now called Academy. Done various contracts, 10 years of deploying overseas with uh, Osin Hunter Group, Nexus Security Consulting, uh, SOC, SMG, which I believe now is just called SOC, and, and then also as a direct hire uh, as of uh, that night with, uh, with the rest of my direct hire contractors with the CIA. And then the last three years, uh, just been touring, doing some training. I am a lead firearms instructor with 88 Tactical. They have a large facility out in Omaha, Nebraska, and Tecama, Nebraska. It came to a point where, where we had come back from Benghazi. Um, the team itself, we, except for Oz, Oz was severely injured, Mark Ozgeist. Uh, we actually took our, our normal breaks, took our two months leave, uh, because uh, the majority of us, that was the end of our contract. Uh, that particular area in Maghazi, Libya, and we continued to work, actually. I went back to Yemen. Um, the majority of us went back to Yemen, except for Tig, who went to Lebanon. Um, it just got to a point where we saw history being rewritten within the media and within political agendas. And after about eight months, the team, and this was the beauty of the book, this is why I think it was so successful, and I think the movie did, so, it did well. I think it did very well, um, considering the, uh, the, uh, the obstacles it had in front of it with the media. Um, 
the team itself came together and said, you know, we need to set the record straight. So it was it. We voted as a as a team there, and I'll tell you where it was. We were in Tyson's Corner at the Ritz Carlton, having a drink after the memorial ceremony for Ty and Glenn. Um, didn't feel like uh, we were treated very well there at, at Langley, and the team made a decision to tell the truth. It was never to do the book and say, hey, look at us, look what we did. That's that's not why operators do this. It's not why you do the job. Guys that go write books to say, hey, beat your chest, look look at me, look at me, that's the wrong answer. It just got to a point where, where we just were pushed and pushed and saw the actual uh, things that went on that night um, being lied about uh, due to political agendas, and that's what it was. And when you push SEALs and Marines and Rangers too far, we're going to push back, and that's where it came to. And I, I think if it was just one of us that wanted to do the book, uh, I think probably wouldn't have happened, but since the team consolidated as a team should and came together and we said hey let's make this decision as a team um, and we all voted yes it was an easy decision to move forward from there there on out now uh, and, and uh, you know since then it's just you know steamrolled into media appearances um, of course because of because of the notoriety of Benghazi because of the elections because of this past election but that also is a blessing because it's allowed me and the other guys to get the story out there and set the record straight. And that was important. Integrity is a huge, huge, um, is a huge trait, positive trait in the special forces community or special operations community. And we just felt our integrity was being questioned as well. And you know, you, you just you can't do that. You, you can't you can't expect expect operators. And I use that term loosely because I don't operators are a cool guy name. Uh, but that's just kind of how we're known. Um, Operators, you can't just you can't push us into a corner and not expect us to to push back at least a little bit. Um, but I also am very happy that it was the team decision because that was the brotherhood that that we showed that night, and it was a brotherhood that still continued to this day. And um, again, very happy with how things have moved along, even though it's been a very big lifestyle change for me because I was a very private person for 18 years. Selfless service is military. It's one of the Army values, selfless service. Sacrifice, it's Bible, you know. And, and I, I'll talk, in the book has some Christianity in it. Um, I am a Christian, worst Christian in the world. I am, I gotta lie. And I've said that, I do this during my speeches too. I tell them, because it is, my guardian angel's up there going, how the hell, God, did you give me this piece of crap? <laughs> I'm working way too hard. But, you know, it's in there. And, and that's where that sacrifice is. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. You know, everybody can have that sacrifice. And again, do you run towards that gunfire? We talked about this. Or do you run away? Or do you take out your cell phone and take pictures of it? No, you go towards that battle. You got to be willing to give yourself for others. Just John 15, 13. You know, love is no greater than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. All operators that go overseas or any military that goes overseas, contractors that go overseas and protect people, that's, that's what they believe in. That's what you should believe in. You're not doing this for the for the accolades or the money or the awards or the badges on your uniform. You're doing it so you can give yourself for your brother if necessary. And honestly, that's easy. You, that can be translated into any daily activity. And we try to apply to that. Letting somebody go in front of you at Starbucks to get their coffee. You know, hey, somebody needs a buck because they're short a buck at the grocery line. Give them a dollar. That's that's still his sacrifice. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that nowadays. And I just I've just made it a. You know, I just utilized a huge example because I've been put in a lot of situations where the sacrifice is, are you willing to die for somebody else? And yes, I can say, yes, I am. I've been, 
I know I am because I've ran towards that gunfire. It's the demons that you have to deal with is why did my friend die and I didn't. That is something that's hard to deal with when you get into that level of sacrifice. Bravery to me is, is uh, you know, when you're coming back from a deployment, you're a big alpha male and you're with your daughter and, and she wants you to wear, she wants you to wear a little, little princess costume because she wants to show you off. That is, that, I don't know if that's bravery or not, but it, it's, it, it, you are because you're, you're, you're bringing yourself, you're making fun of yourself a bit. And especially when you come back from a deployment and your mind's not right. You know, you, you're, not, you're off a little bit. And being able to be brave enough to, to maybe think you're looking bad in front of others. Um, that's, and I'm trying to generalize it in the simplest forms where bravery that night, again, was the ability to, hey, let's put ourselves in front of the bad guys so these 30 people can live. Or in other, other uh, examples was, uh, here's one in Iraq. I'm standing at a, at a control point and this truck's coming up on me and I don't know if it's good or bad and I want to shoot it. But utilizing all the precursors, all the indicators of it being a car bomb or not, trying to see it physically for what it is and then realizing I don't think it is and holding back. The bravery at that point in time was not shooting it. The bravery was that I didn't, and luckily I didn't because there was a little boy in it. It wasn't a car bomb, and I would have killed a, I would have killed an eight-year-old boy with his father. Bravery on any other level within normal society here, within just civilian world, it can be as simple as as getting out of your comfort zone, doing something where you may be looked at lesser by your peers, but it's for the greater good. In my case, it was to make my daughter happy. Um, to somebody's, yeah, somebody's. Uh, getting hurt on the street and you actually get in there and intervene, but the threat of bodily injury to you there is great. But that's still, that's still bravery. Again, it's just so many different levels. Um, I use extreme levels in the book, but um, that's because I've been through it. But it doesn't have to be at those extremes. Again, it just, it, but it all goes back and ties back into the sacrifice. If you're willing to sacrifice yourself, you are being brave because you are willing to risk bodily injury, mentally, mental injury, or, or just discomfort by being brave, by sacrificing yourself. So it ties in there. In the back of my head, I knew at some point in my, if I stayed in long enough that I was gonna have some things that were, I was gonna have to live with. Things like, like, um, like death, like uh, being away from home, that's bravery. Leaving your kids, going on deployments, you know, six, leaving home six times a year and not realizing if that's the last time you're going to see your kids or not. That's hard. I don't think people realize how difficult that is when you get up in the morning and you got to go and you kiss your kids by and you're like, this might be the last time. And doing that for 10 years, <laughs> um, that's bravery, but it takes a physical toll on you. But that's where the demons come back in too because I came home. Some of my friends didn't. Okay, well, why? You want to ask yourself. I know a lot of guys out there go through, that's a, that's a typical demon that... And actually is, is sensationalized in the media. It is. It, but it is out there. But, you know, being able to handle those things, um, that's a sacrifice. I'm willing to take those, those on so other people don't have to go overseas or do what I did to, to, to go through those, those instances. I've had them the last, you know, I've had them the last few days. Um, but it's okay. I, I realize what they are. And it goes all the way back to realizing physiologically what that body, what you feel like when those things come. And then handling them and realizing, hey, don't quit, don't give up, don't don't hurt yourself, don't go hurt others. Stay positive. You can overcome it. It will go away, and you're going to be stronger for it. And I said, God only gives you so much you can handle. He gives person what they can handle, or he chooses people to handle more than others. 
And that's how I look at it too. He, he, he chose me. I, I brought shoulders. I can handle it. And I can't deal with it. If that's bravery or not, I, I guess it could be considered bravery. I just think it's, it's more of a blessing than anything. I'd rather I be able to handle it than somebody that couldn't and then they, you know, then they hurt themselves or hurt others. Where I did quit, I gave up. Like I didn't want to be here anymore. And luckily, somebody came in my life and said, no, you know what? Then it wasn't anybody I knew, just out of nowhere, at an airport. I said, hey, you know what? Said some things to me that got my head back right and saved my life. That's why I also tell people, be brave, hold on. Because eventually somebody, you, you may not even know the person. They're going to come in and say something to you and you'll be like, you know what, that's right. I, I, I need to stay here. I, this is good. I'm doing the right thing. Because I do want to see people that I have faced suicide. I've, and I want to show my brothers that are facing it too that I'm with you, man. I understand. I've been there. I was in the, I'm there sometimes still, but hold on. Just hold on. Somebody will get brought in your life and it, you're, you're, you will change. Your outlook on life will change and you'll become stronger. And then you can go to your other brothers who are feeling that same way. And be like, yes, I, this is how you deal with it. You can handle it. And like I said, I'm 5'9", 165 pounds, little dude. If my little little old butt can handle it, then you guys can too. Anybody can. People have hear me, heard me speak before. I tell that story because that's how I wrap it up. Because I want people to know that, you know, I, I hate the word hero. I am not. I hate that. I hate it. I can't stand it. I'm, not, I'm like everybody else. And I go through, I go through pain just like everybody else. And I was at my lowest point, wanted to give up. And I said, God didn't give up on me. And he brought some, some little old lady in my life, just a few words, and it got my head right. Um, but that's also because I, I, you don't quit, never quit. I just had to, she just had to kind of nudge me back on the, on the path. I was getting off it a little bit. My goal was to become a ranger when I left college. I actually had my bachelor's degree. I, I was very lucky. Um, blessed with some good genes from my parents. I, I had a football scholarship through college. I played football. I was an athlete all the way through. Um, when I left college, I didn't want to be, I didn't even know what a ranger was. I got, somebody found me when I was, the recruiter found me while I was walking through the student student union building and out of a crowd of being his graduation, he picks me and says, hey, come and he showed me a ranger video and I, I was hooked. I was like, wow, look at that's that's cool. Now my parents were pissed because this kid is back, you want to enlist in the army now? But I enlisted. My goal was to be, get my tab and become a full ranger. You know, I didn't make that goal the first time I was in. I got, I did some bad, uh, my, uh, and we can put it in the video, my first wife was cheating on me and I went off the deep end. I got kicked out of the military. I, granted, I got an honorable discharge. I did. That's range battalion for you. That's great leadership. That's First Sergeant Grippy, who's now Sergeant Major Grippy, uh, General LaCamera, my first CO, who took care of me to make sure that I think they could see something that this kid's going to come back. We just got to make sure he gets the, the honorable discharge so he can come back in. Um, and I did. I, I was honorably discharged. Um, granted, though, because I did some things I probably shouldn't have um, in efforts to hurt the guy that was cheating on, cheating with my first wife. Um, so to reach that goal, the mission, again, from the beginning was I needed to become a ranger. That hadn't stopped yet. So continue with that mission. What do I do now? I got two years. I got to take a break. I can't go back in the military for two years. That's what states on my discharge papers. Do I just stop or do I continue to go on the mission again, defining the mission, becoming a ranger? Okay. How do I continue to better myself? I got my head together with friends and my, I got myself back together. It was, it was tough. That first divorce was very emotionally hard on me. 
Um, I wasn't ready for it. Very young too. Um, luckily, with good friends and my family, was able to get back on, the, get get myself back up. But also, I was able to pick myself up and say, "What do I need to do now?" And I applied for grad school. I got accepted. I went and got my master's degree in those two years. I was still improving. I was still moving forward because I had to take two years off. Do I go work? And nothing wrong with working at a gas station. Nothing wrong with it. But do I do that and stay in Grand Junction, my little town, or do I continue what I felt was moving forward? Well, my parents, dad's got his PhD. Mom's got her master's. Okay, well, let's do that. When I got my master's degree, worked my tail off with the military because I ran into so many roadblocks because of what I tried to do when that first discharge came in to try to get back in. And I kept going to recruiter after recruiter after recruiter and them saying, nope, 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 can't do it. And again, I'll leave it. People can read in the book what I did. It's in there. But no, no, they wouldn't do it because I had to get waivers to get back in. And I just would not quit. I would not give up. And during that time frame, I worked full time at Mutual Omaha. <laughs> I was getting my master's degree. Um, I had actually met my second wife at the time, so dating. And also, um, I was trying to find a way to get back into the service, into the Army, to become a Ranger again. And towards the end of my graduation there at, in, uh, in Omaha, I'd moved to Omaha, University, University of Nebraska at Omaha, uh, treated me very well. Um, I was, uh, I found a, I went to the recruiting office, and it, I, it's so ironic, the recruiting office, recruiting command was half a mile away from where I lived. And I lived in a hundred, and it's people too, I, I moved, had no money. I didn't want to rely on my parents. I moved into a house in the in a bad part of town. It was a 10 by 10 room. It was shared by a foreign exchange student from from Vietnam. And then also a, a woodworker, a guy that was that was uh, working there in Omaha. And um, the recruiting station was right down from the street. And I never even realized it. For two years, I'd drive by there. And I'd, so I was going to all these recruiting stations all over Omaha. And, I drove, was driving back home from a class, and I saw it, and I said, U.S. Army Recruiting Command. And it was in a bad part of town. I mean, that's where I lived. And I drove in there, and the, there was a first sergeant in command, and the sergeant major were there of this recruiting command of Omaha. They're the head guys. And I said, hey, this is what's going on. Roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. I want to go back in. This is what I've been doing since I got out. And I think because they saw that I had not quit, I was trying to get better myself, they took a chance. And they said, Roger, well, this is what you need to do to get back in. And that was sort of humbling because I had to go through this, I had to go through many psych evaluations. I had to go sit with psychiatrists. I had to go sit, they had to do civilian, not military. I had to pay for it on my own dime. But I was willing to do that. And it was a humbling experience to sit there and feel like, well, you know, maybe I, something was off on me a little bit there. But because of how I'd bettered myself and continued to move on um, and continued to go and with my life and never never giving up, I was still, you know, they were like, you know, you're, you're fine. We're going to write you a letter to get back in. Graduated. Um, I had to wait about six months because I had to wait for everything to go through. So I, I continued to work as an insurance adjuster. <laughs> I needed money. Um, and uh, eventually I got back in the Rangers. I had to do it all over again. Went through basic training again. I didn't have to do airborne school again. I had to do jump refresher, which is just the last week. But I had to do ranger indoc again. Had to be a private at ranger battalion again. I did it everything all over again. But the mission was final end state, get your tab, become a team leader, become a ranger. And I did that. I was there for a couple months. I knew what I needed to be. I was already a ranger once. I knew what was expected of me. I knew how physically fit I needed to be at that point. So I was, I was out running my drill sergeants when I first got the basic training. I, but I knew. I knew what I needed to do. Um, 
And I knew everything I needed to know when I got to be a private range battalion. So it was like, bam, you're you're at school. I went to ranger school right out right away. Got my tab, came back, became a team leader, and then um, I have because I have my master's degree. I stayed there. I stayed, of course, stayed enlisted there at range battalion for a little bit. And uh, then because I have my master's, my platoon leader came up to me and said, "Hey, you need to become an officer." And that's where I said, Sergeant Rothke again made a mistake. He's the one that said, "Nope." He says, "You need to stay and be enlisted." He says, "I remember him saying to me, don't you owe me more time.'" And I said, I said, sorry, no, I got my master's. I probably should use it. And I went and got my commission. And then I went to the group after that. What was my mission? What did I have to do? What that first first mission, the first part of it is, example, I wanted to be a ranger. The mission was to become a ranger, full-tabbed ranger team leader. I went through many obstacles to try to get to that point, And it took me more years than what I expected. But that was it. And that was defining the mission. Okay, what steps do I need to take to do that? That mission and that plan that you had set forth from the get-go, it doesn't always go that way. It will change and divert. You have to be able to fill and flow. I say fill and flow in the book. You got to be able to, to go with what comes up front. If something changes in the way, the plan, a plan never goes perfectly. Whatever you set up there will never go perfect, and you have to be able to be flexible and adjust to it. But you always have to be able to just keep moving forward. And that's where the, you know, I'm, I'm, I know probably went into some other chapters with that talk right there too, but defining the mission is what's the end goal? What's your mission? What do you want to accomplish? All right, how do you do that? All right, it's probably not going to happen how you planned it. So when you reach an obstacle, what do you do to skirt it? You go over it, but utilizing those those three steps back, those those failures, which is what they were, I learned from them. And I realized that it's okay, you're not always gonna make it that first time, but you just never quit. Again, it goes all the way back to Benghazi that night. We didn't know anybody was coming. Did we give up? No. Uh, luckily, because of the failures I'd been through, my own failures, and I'll call them failures, um, I was able to know I can, I can pick ourselves, we, I can pick myself up and keep moving forward. And I want people, and everybody can do that, they can. Um, it, you just you just don't want to stop and become stagnant and then feel sorry because then you start feeling sorry for yourself and I could have I could have just said I'm done I feel sorry for myself my wife left me she was cheating on me I'm out of the Rangers now I didn't mean to and the reason I got out is because she said if I got out we'd get back together and immediately I got out and she left I was like wow this all just what it, it was like one day what just happened and then, but it was never, what just happened? All right, I'm just gonna lay here in the fetal position and suck my thumb. It was, all right, let's figure this out. Pick yourself back up. Let's see what we need to do to, to continue with the mission. And it's gonna be a little while now, but this is what I want. This is what we wanna do. This is what I need to do. And this is what I wanna do. What do I need to do to move forward? And I, anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. The course of action that I had to put was not the original course of action that I started with. The, you know, the, the plan, the tactical plan, was going the going the military, going the army after college, ninety five. Go to basic infantry. Go to airborne school. Go to ranger in doc. Go to be a ranger. Go be a private. Earn my way to to go to ranger school. Come back and be a team leader. It was supposed to happen quickly. It didn't because of the divorce. Because I got basically I got honorably discharged, but it wasn't a honor. It was an early discharge. So you know, to me, I got booted out of the army. That's how I see it. Whether people see that way or not, I don't care. That's how I saw it. I saw it as a failure. So the course of action changed. So you had to be flexible. So you do have to develop a plan, and that's what that plan is uh, initially, is what do you do to get from point A to point B? Uh, you know, the, the quickest, the quickest, what is the quickest distance between two points is a straight line. It never works out that way. And that, 
you know, those first two chapters that show examples of, of me not being able to go that straight path. It's never that straight path. It's always going to be whining and moving and going through obstacles and going over obstacles and getting kicked back and going, falling back a few steps, picking yourself back up and moving forward again. And, and like I said, that, that, that example of me, just that drive to finally get my Ranger tab after, you know, originally started, which would have been almost four years, but staying on course and just changing what the plan was, changing what my course of action was as we went on based off what obstacles I was running into. Some of them were my own fault. Um, some of them weren't. And that's something people need to realize. Some of those obstacles will be your own fault. Um, you know, the uh, me an obstacle that was my own fault was me getting out of the Rangers. That was my fault. Nobody else's. An obstacle that wasn't my fault was that I had to go over was uh, um, my my ex cheating on me. I mean, I didn't plan for that. And again, I, and I, I want to make sure I, I hold no ill wills to her. She's we're friends now. She's awesome. We just were too young. I, we got we got married too young. I don't want people to be hating my ex because she's 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 a wonderful woman. Um, but what I'm saying is is that. These are planned and unplanned obstacles that you have to navigate through, around, over, whatever. The bottom line is, is you always move forward. Even if you get knocked on your hump and you got to pick your butt back up, that's what you do. That's why today's society, and that's why this book will not resonate with these people that, that and, uh, you know, negative or not, will not resonate with the people that believe in participation trophies. You can't learn how to succeed if you don't know how to fail. You got to be able to fail. You have to be able to look at toughen yourself back up and then move forward. It's that adage of you know one step forward, four steps. One step back, four steps forward. You know you're gonna get knocked back. It's okay. What did I do wrong? Do your assessment. What I need to do to fix it. All right. Let's keep going. And that's how you learn to be successful when you use Benghazi again. That's a perfect example. That's what was so great that it happened at that point in my life because that was a multitude of steps back to go forward. And if we would have quit, like those steps, uh, an example that night of taking a step back, being told to stand down, don't go help. If we wouldn't have went and helped, we honestly, we probably would have got medals for not going and helping. We were told by our leadership, don't go. That is really an obstacle. That's a step back because you're written raring to get out that gate. You're hearing your buddies getting shot at. You're hearing the State Department guys calling us on the radio saying, hey, you need to get here. We're taking heavy fire. You're watching the firefight. You're seeing the tracers fly up in the air. You're hearing the explosions. And then you're getting told by your leadership, no, you're not going after 15 minutes. And then it turns to 16. And then it turns to 17. What do you do? Do you just stop? No. Let's tighten ship, come together. What do we need to do to get out of this gate? What's going to be the repercussions? We're going to lose our jobs. Probably not. We're not going to get any insurance if we get killed over there. If we get injured over there, we're not going to get any insurance because we're, we're going out of our scope of duties. Doesn't matter. The job is to get forward and help save lives. And then you move forward and you keep going. And then, of course, obstacles along the way because we delayed. Having to fight our way on the objective. Having to clear this nine-acre compound with the six of us dead tired. Trying to run in the burning buildings to find, find the ambassador. You know, not being able to find him, finding a dead body, finding Sean Smith's dead body, finding the survivor. Again, just multiple obstacles all night. And again, people can read 13 hours. They you go grab it and they can read that whole thing or watch the movie and they can see the multiple obstacles. But all that was based off of the stuff I'd been through. How did I get to the point where I was able to never give up, never quit and continue to move forward? And that's just, 
you know, just example after example within the chapters of where I got knocked down like anybody else, and I learned to pick myself back up and move forward. Um, you know, I, I think a, another example would have been would just you know basic training itself, going into an army basic training where you're getting broken down. Where you get there that first day in '95, I get there to to basic training, 30th AG and and the replacement company, and you know you're getting shell shocked. You're, you're shell shocked is or culture shocked is a better word. Where um you know you're 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 realizing oh crap I'm not a civilian anymore and then you're realizing as you get to the actual basic training facility I went to two five eight second battalion fifty eight infantry there at, at at Sand Hill and seeing the first day a kid from New York getting decked and thrown across a room by a drill sergeant that jack decked him thinking I didn't think this stuff still happened full metal jacket stuff that's not supposed to happen in the army and it did and realizing oh crap did I make the right decision. <laughs> Yeah, and that's also you, but you're stuck. You're there, and the, the the total goal was to get to range battalion. So, all right, didn't know that was going to happen. I'm a little bit now. I'm a concerned now. I better. What do I need to do? So I'm not that guy that gets hit across the room. Figuring it out. It's a new plan, new course of action to be your best soldier you can be. Because first of all, you want to succeed. You want to graduate. But last not least, you don't want to be that kid that the drill sergeant decks and you fly across the room because that hurts. You know, that's another example of, of just, you know, what you have to do to get to that final end state. What is it? But also realize you're not going a straight line. It never will be a straight line. It will always be this. And as long as you have that mindset that you can accomplish it and you want that goal and you have that mindset you never give up and you have that mindset that sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, you can do it. Again, look at me. I'm. I said, I've said a million to five nine hundred sixty five pounds, dripping wet. I uh, believe me, I, and I feel pain like anybody else. But you just, I just have been able, luckily because of my parents' good upbringing, but also getting to be at Ranger Battalion and having to go through multiple obstacles to be a Ranger, just to get my tab, um, that I can accomplish it. But if I can accomplish it, then anybody can accomplish it. Because I said, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm no more special than anybody else. Just been put in circumstances where I just didn't quit. Sometimes you gotta swallow your pride. Pride is, a, you know, pride's a deadly sin. It is, it's one of them. Um, and it's okay to have it, but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, you know what, I don't know what to do here. My pride's telling me I should know um, being, out of, being out the range tomorrow. Am I gonna know everything? No, no, but no instructor should ever go in the range and say, I know how to do, this is the way you do it should always be a recommendation because there is no right or wrong way to do everything. It's based off the person. So my thing is 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 that that I had to learn from everybody that rangers are great at that. The ranger lineage is that we took pieces from all different units to make the rangers. So we took the best and the guys are I'm sure they're still doing it. They took the best pieces from Lurs units, from SF units, from World War II, you know, 101st. A battle of Bastogne, you know, the, the guys in World War II. They, and they pick the best things for everybody. That's how you learn. You don't you don't know everything. You 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 watch other people and you see how they handle themselves. You see what's perfect on their stuff or what you like that fits you and perfect for you. And that's what you use. Walther Arms was founded by Carl Walther in 1886, and 135 years later, Walther continues to innovate. While many know Walther from their PPK and P-38 pistols, 
Today, they have pioneered striker-fired pistols with their PPQ and PDP. And let's not forget their steel frame Q4 and Q5. For info on what Walther offers, visit their website at waltherarms.com. If you're looking for outdoor gear for hunting, camping, hiking, or even cooking, head over to Sportsman's Guide. They have everything you need, and then some. When the time came to film season two of Wilderness to Table with Chef Bree, Sportsman's Guide was able to provide all the cooking and hunting gear we needed. And they can help you. Check out sportsmansguide.com today. The whole school is tough. Physically, getting beat down and wanting to quit. And you can and you can give up at any time. Give up, go back to your unit, go back and, and be done with it, not get your tab and... Um, difference at being at the 75th though is that if you do do that you're gonna get thrown out of the unit so we maybe have a little bit more pressure on us to stay and finish it out but you know you look at it get tough and I in a grand form in the in a big in the big scale of things it's very easily it's just being able to pick yourself off the ground once you get knocked down that's being tough it's not it's being able to absorb punches it's being able to and I'm using it in a literal sense and a metaphorical sense being able to absorb punishment whether it be Bad things that go on in your life, you you know you, you you don't get paid as much as you should. Your taxes are, your taxes are a lot more than what you thought, and now you're gonna owe more money. You don't have the money to pay your bills this month. You know that's that's taking a punch. What do you do to improve? What do you do so it doesn't happen again? That's being tough. Maybe go getting a second job, um, sucking it up and not taking that vacation this year because you had to because you didn't you didn't forecast out enough, far enough to to pay your taxes. Or I don't know. I'm, I'm using. That is, it's, that's normal examples that I still go through today. It doesn't have to be military examples. But when you talk about the getting tough chapter, you know, best thing to do is still use, you can apply it to physical toughness, making yourself tough, uh, uh, getting stronger, going to the gym to get stronger so you can absorb more punishment. It's easy to do it in, a, in a, just a common sense format than trying to be metaphorical. Um, I think it is. And by getting tough and being a ranger, every day you're going to be at Tarangeba Town as a private, um, you're getting tougher every day because you have to punish, you have to, you have to take on not only the physical punishment of, oh, flutter kicks, mountain climbing, and just your physical getting beat downs every day, getting stronger, and then doing your normal physical training, which uh, as a team leader, I'll give you an example, as a team leader, I could run. Uh, I, and I would love, I could run fast. I mean, I could do... 10 miles in under an hour. Um, and to make my guys tougher, I would take them out on runs like that. Would they make it? Majority of them wouldn't. But that's what made them tougher to me. It's like, well, you got to keep trying. You may not ever catch me, but you got to keep trying to keep catching. And they did. They all improved on their, their two-mile runs. They all improved their physical fitness. That's physically getting tough. The reason I got that tough running is because I had some guy that did that to me in basic training, and then my first team leader could run, and they pushed me through that. How I got tougher in that regard was that I, I ran extra. At night, when we were off, if we, had, we were at the barracks, I'd go out and run more because I was like, he's not. First time I did a run um, where a team leader of mine, actually he was a team leader in another platoon, but he was in charge of me. His name was Sergeant, ne Sergeant Nyman. And uh, we were doing scout swimmer. We're doing a, a it's a it's a water infiltration course. These guys could run, and we went out on a run. And it was Sergeant Neiman and Sergeant Jackson, both of them Rangers. Both were scuba qualified. I think both of them actually went to went to Delta eventually. I could be wrong, but I, I'm almost positive Neiman did. But I remember they took off running, and I thought I was fast. They just whew. and 
they they left me in the, I mean, I was gassed at the mile four. I kept up with them to a mile four, and then at mile five, I couldn't keep up with them anymore. And I swore that would never happen to me again. And so I did extra, and I did. At the end, I, so I didn't even, even tell you, I was, I was fast as they were. But it took that. I mean, that's just, and that's just an example of where toughness can be applied, and that's how people should look at it. If you, even if you fall back, you don't make it, or you're not as good as somebody else at that point in time, your toughness, mental toughness and physical toughness, which do you quit? No, that's mental toughness. Physical toughness, now you do extra to improve yourself, which is maybe not having that beer, you know? Maybe putting aside the nachos for tonight, going to the gym, going for a run, getting in the weight room, doing a little bit more, going and shoot toughness on the range, going and shooting a little bit more when you don't want to, just putting that extra 50 rounds down range. Um, again, it doesn't need to be much at one particular time. You don't want to gorge yourself on it because then you you will be like, ah, oh, this is too much. I'm overwhelming myself. But you you pace it out, do a little bit every day, and it may take you a year to get to where you need to be. But once you get to where you need to be within that year, you can maintain it. When you try to do it quickly, and you try to over, you overdo it, and either injury or you get burnt out and you quit. That's why most uh, most um, uh, New Year's resolutions don't stick. Because they people, I got this resolution, and they try to do it all at once, and don't realize that to actually to accomplish that resolution, it's going to take time. But we're in a fast food society; everybody wants it done now. It doesn't work like that. And Rangers taught me that. It doesn't work like that. That thing with Sergeant Neiman didn't work like that. It took me, and granted, I had a good base, so it took me. It took me about a month of continually doing extra to get to where I needed to be with them on that fifth mile, but I did it. I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. And then I was able to maintain it because I did it the right way. I didn't overdo it. I didn't gorge it, and then I lost it all later. And then you have to maintain it too. Toughness is being able to maintain that particular level that you're at, and that's doing extra work. But by then, your extra work has become second nature because now it's your lifestyle. So it's just now, like I said, I, I still run a lot because I still run. I still probably put 30 miles in a week. You know, for an old man like me, 46, that's a lot. But it's because it's a lifestyle. If I don't do it now, then it bothers me. Mm -hmm. So you just, it just if you continually do it and continually do whatever you want to try to do, um, whether it be going to work extra, staying late because you want to make be a CEO one day or, or studying up as a student, grad student as an example, doing extra work, going to the library and researching more, even though you, you want to get out on Friday and, you know, as a college student, you want to get out on Friday and go to happy hour or go to the bars with the... With, with your friends, but you stay extra because you want to get that A, it's worth it, but it takes time and it takes discipline and sacrifice and toughness, mental and physical toughness. Toughness doesn't have to be just on the battlefield. It can be, in fact, majority of your toughness to guys, operators out there, majority of your toughness comes out after you're out because uh, you really feel like you're a little, you, you don't have that brotherhood. You know, you're not with your guys anymore and you have to, you have to, realize that you have to get tough on the out uh, by yourself um so being account but being accountable is being able to be given that task and getting it done um military rangers uh basic training even um even as a contractor you are given a task to do and you're expected to do it and you're expected to do it up to whatever that standard is and that standard's got to be tied into leadership your leader needs to give you what that standard is how does this vehicle need to be look does it need to be cleaned off does it need to have all the oil changed in it do we need to make sure that the fluids are always checked and of course they did that was the standard 
And it was very easy. It was a black and white standard. We had a checklist that we made as a team together. It wasn't one guy making the checklist. It was, okay, we've all had experience at different bases. What do we need to make sure that this checklist is good for the vehicles? That was the standard. And then when other guys came in from other contracts, because, you know, we, we 60 on, 60 off sort of thing, they may adjust it, fine-tune it. So it just continually gets fine-tuned. That's where the accountability comes in. That's where, as a leader, you have to be able to also take a step back. And, again, I don't know everything, guys. This is what we need to accomplish here. How do we do this? The, uh, the ODAs, the Special Forces team, they're awesome. They're awesome at, at, at making those decisions because they have a, an alpha, a guy that's in charge. But then they have guys that are experts in explo- engineers, explosives, building stuff, breaking stuff. They have medics. That's an expert. Do Delta. They have a Bravo. That's an expert. in, in he's, your, he's your small unit taxes guy. He's your firearms guy. You're, he's supposed to be the expert in, in everything that has to do with guns and, and, and tactics. And that alpha can go to each of these guys and say, hey, we need to develop a, a team book to say how we're going to do things in situations so he can pull on all that expertise. That's why a lot of those ODAs, those alphas, those 18 alphas, the, the team leaders, the captains of those teams, they're some of the best leaders because they know that they can, they, they know a little bit of each job, but they know they have subject matter experts, and I hate using that word, but they have experts in each job, particular job that needs to be done, whether it's farms, whether it's explosives, whether it's medical, um, you know, whether it's comms, and they can go to that person and say, help me. I don't, you're the expert here. We need to build for a team book, a calm plan, make it happen. That's being a good leader, not sitting there and micromanaging. That's terrible. Micromanaging every little piece. No, no. But that also goes back to, do you have guys that are accountable? And as a leader, you have to assess the strengths of your team. Um, example, uh, chief or chief that night, Benghazi, I think he was a very good leader. He didn't utilize our strengths. He wanted to control that situation. And he had the least amount of experience how to deal with that situation, that combat that was going on. He didn't have the experience, but he was unwilling to let go of that control to give it to the guys that did, which were us. That was poor leadership, in my opinion. Um, as a good leader, you don't do that. You, you, but as a good leader also, you do need to assess the strengths of your team. And one of those strengths is accountability. Can I give this task to this guy or this woman, will they get it done with the least amount of oversight? If you can say yes, then that person is accountable. Um, I learned that from Ranger Battalion. Here's an accountability. When I was a private, we were on a JRX, a Joint, Regis, joint Readiness Exercise in, at Fort Bragg. I was not tabbed yet. It was 1996, and I was supposed to get, you know, that was back in the day when we had this heavy miles gear. It sucked. Oh, it, and I can, the, the dang acronyms of the military, basically it's, it's lasers so you can have op four. You can shoot an opposition force so you can shoot each other and it's, it's little beeps go off when you get shot. You know, so you, and you attach it to your weapon, your regular weapon systems and you use blanks. So when the recoil weapon goes, that laser shoots. And Well, you have to zero those things too. Now, I admit I was not at a good point in my life at that point in time. Um, that was when I was going through a little bit with, the, with my first ex. And we got to Fort Bragg and my team leader says, go zero your miles gear because we're going to be probably doing an op tonight and you need to have it. So, you know, so the training is realistic. <laughs> Didn't do it. I was like, I ain't doing this. Nope, I'm too tired. I don't care anymore. I'm done. You know, you've given up. I personal personal things in my life that were letting affect the job. Well, he happened to spot check and he found out that I didn't do it. So I went out there and he's like that, and he smoked 
I mean, I did, I think I did push ups and flutter kicks and mountain climbers and for days. I remember out there at Fort Bragg between the sticks barracks. That's when we still had the old sticks barracks. They probably were still out there and he's destroying me. And then from there on out, he would always double check my stuff because he thought I wasn't accountable. I didn't give him the, the example that I was accountable at that particular point in time. That was a good learning experience for me. And granted, the pain, it does. Sometimes pain does help um, help you to be accountable or, or improve. Um, again, so that was a learning experience for me that now he's always going to be on my butt checking my stuff because he doesn't trust me. I lost trust. Um, that's where the, 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 the chapter of accountability comes in. And as a good leader, that's where it ties in with leadership. He's looking at me going, well, he's being a good leader. Well, now I'm going to have to check Pirano stuff because Ranger Pirano has not did did not do what I told him to do. I, I'm his integrity is now questioned because and it's his and it was my fault. I got no way to blame myself. So it was an uphill battle trying to trying to regain his his trust. Um, but that's where you know down the line in Benghazi, we all have been doing it and we all have been through. Every one of us had been through that similar sort of learning experience as a young SEAL, Marine, or Ranger. Every one of us had made a mistake that way. So now we knew what it took to be a leader. That's why it was so good to see that team in that first five minutes when we got called and it says, we need your rest of the team room. And then you walk out and you see the firefight going on three quarters of a mile away. Nobody needed to say a word. Everybody's great leaders. We all have what the task conditions and standards are if that particular situation happens. Nobody needs to watch us because we're all accountable. We're all not to be followers, but also we know how to be leaders and we also need to stay in our lane. This is what I need to do, take care of it. Tyrone, he's accountable. I know he knows what he needs to do. He's taking care of it. Jack, he's accountable. I know what he needs to do. He's taking care of it. Five minutes, we got everything. I mean, we're ready to roll out the gate five minutes later. I mean, everything. We go from basically thinking it's it, and that's what GRS, I mean, that's that's what GRS is, is a difficult job for guys because you have to go from basically the light off to the light on like that. I mean, you don't have your gear all with you too. You got to go get all your stuff. It's not like you're laying around as a as a as a pararescue you know, in the in the seesaw room with all your gear handy i mean you you don't have because you, you can't do that every day because you you'd, you'd burn out um and you're such a small unit that you just you just you chill out but you're able to like i said you're able to turn it on when and that team was outstanding i still remember seeing jack and ty going in to building c to get their stuff nobody's saying a word nobody's panicking Got a job to do. That's leadership. But it also, again, it ties into being accountable. And none of us had to worry about the other one making sure they were getting their stuff done. Again, but that was learning experience from from us being privates, working our way up through the military. And that should be anybody. You, you don't, just even in a, me working at Mutual of Omaha, when I had the two break in my service, my, my boss, Scott Holmes, great guy, I learned a lot from him on the civilian side. But he was like, he, he, he trusted until you didn't get it done or you told me told me something to, to your integrity was questioned um i think that's probably why he hired me i didn't have any experience in insurance i didn't know i just needed a job and he hired me as an insurance adjuster which is a pretty i mean i stepped over a lot of positions to get hired out of nowhere because of my military training he's like you know why i hired you not because you knew anything because he, he goes i know you know nothing about insurance it's because I know that you're accountable because of what you've been through. Maybe he put a little pressure on me there, saying, oh, crap, now i got to live up to that hype. But he said, I saw that you're a ranger. He was a JAG officer in the Air Force, so he had an idea, And but he was right. And he stepped off. He, he let me, basically gave me enough rope to hang myself with, but I never 
did because I already knew what he needed. And he'd always be clear on what needed to be done. And he would teach me. As a good leader, you teach guys to if they don't know. It. And that's he, could, he didn't expect me to be accountable with everything right off the bat because I didn't know the job. So he actually taught me the job. And then he says, okay, I taught you what you need to know. Now you, now you got to run with it. Go. And, uh, but I trust that you'll get everything done and you'll do what I ask you to do. And I, I didn't let him down. Um, again, that's just, just learning. Luckily, again, that was also from mistakes being made. And, and I do think still nowadays, I don't know if the military still does this or not. I do think that, uh, pain sometimes is a good teaching tool. Um, our politically correct, and it may not be, I don't know. I, I guess I need to go hang out at a basic training facility or go to a RASP class or something. But uh, I do think that, that me getting sometimes overly punished helped. It did. Um, and it didn't kill me. It made me a lot stronger. Um, and participation trophies, they, they will, they will, they're actually, they're going to cause you to fail in the long run because you won't know how to, you won't know how to push through. All the stuff that we've talked about leading up to you is what makes you confident. Experience makes you confident. Failure and then figuring out what that failure is and then and then uh, fixing that, whatever it is that you failed at, and then succeeding is what makes you confident because then you know you can accomplish things. Um, there's people out there, and especially even in our world, in the, in the instructor world, instructor where it's false confidence or it's, or it's portraying something that you don't really have to whether it's to get a job or whether it's to, to show in front of your peers that you know everything. Um, be honest, you can see right through that. And my thing is, is that's why I, or usually, I, you know, most of the time I would take a step back. I didn't need to be the lead instructor whenever I was doing any fire instructor at Blackwater. And I, I wanted, because there were guys that knew more than me. Boone is, for example, he's a better instructor than me. He is. But I learned from him. And watching him do stuff, I'll, I don't need to be that focal point. But I'm learning from him as watching him being able to communicate with with students or whoever else, um, whoever else that we're, we're trying to train. That's what gives you confidence, though, because then you learn from others and you're learning how to how to accomplish a task. And we're going back to ta task condition standard, going back to to mission planning, going back to everything else. You are learning. The more experience and the more learn, the more experience you have, and the more ability or the greater ability that you have to learn will make you confident. Um, you know, I, this college is an example of this where, you know, you get out of college, I bachelor's degree, and you think you know everything. I finished Mesa. I went to Colorado Mesa University. It was Mesa College at the time, real small. Played football, so I'm, I'm an arrogant. I am. I'm an arrogant MFer. I am. Um, but, you know, and this is how a lot of students are nowadays in this society. We have listened to our professors we did a It's great. You got your degree. Fantastic. You accomplished a goal. Great job. But now we know, we think we know everything. Nobody can tell us anything different. Um, my culture shocking, which is I'm glad I had, is that I did enlist in the military. That's the best thing that I could have done because I went to the military after college and realized, holy crap. And also, yeah, I thought it was a, in great shape. Great. You know, I, I was, I was an all American. Well, my sophomore year actually got worse as I got older, but, um, I was like, I can handle this, but getting to basic and going to the infantry and realizing, oh crap, I don't know everything. Whoo, culture shock. I am not as badass as what I think I am. And that helped actually go in the military. It knocked me down a few pegs. So I went from being arrogant to now having to relearn 
how to do things, which I think made me more confident and having good role models. Um, I had good drill sergeants at the time. A lot, all of them, dang near all of them were ranger tabbed, which I don't think nowadays a lot of the infantry drill sergeants are. I think that's important that they should at least have their ranger tab if you want to be an infantry instructor. But, you know, learning from them and seeing how they handled students, how they, how they would get angry, but not to a point where they were going to hurt somebody, um, seeing their patience, and then also seeing them eventually as mentors and role models to me. Um, that gave me confidence because I was seeing, to me, I was, that arrogance of me knowing everything was, was gone. It was, you know what, you don't know everything. You need to learn Well, you need to learn how to do different ways to do different things. And that just gave me a good base to continue to learn on through airborne school, through ranger, going to RIP, being a ranger, going to ranger school. Um, confidence itself, you have to have the ability to take a step back and say, I don't know everything. Being a private at range battalion, that was a that was huge. I, I didn't know first thing, you have these guys that are experts at all these firearms, all, every, every weapon system that we have, I, I'm not. And I come into this place thinking that, you know, having a little bit of chip on my shoulder and I'm physically fit. I'm, I'm great physically fit, but having to humble myself around these guys and gosh, these guys are awesome at what they're doing. And I'm not, I'm not at all. I'm not good. I, I'm, I'm not, these guys are, can shoot expert on their M4s with their eyes closed. I'm having a difficult time. And that, that was a humbling experience, but it also forced me to get better, which in turn got me more confidence, which, also, like the example I gave you with Sergeant, it was Sergeant Zagler actually in, in Fort Bragg, the team leader that that I I betrayed his trust. I wasn't accountable for him. Sergeant Zagler, you know, guys like that. I'm seeing how hard they're working and I'm seeing how they're how they're uh, how they're accomplishing their goals, and and I'm just trying to keep up with them. Um, but also, once I get to the point where they're at, having that confidence because I'm learning learning from them. I'm learning how they're doing things. I'm learning also watching and maybe seeing something how you shouldn't do it. Um, but they're getting that arrogance out of me, you know, and, and that, that is what made me get the confidence that I needed. I think confidence also, when you're thinking about it, I'm, I'm, example in Benghazi is, is a confidence is, uh, is again, that first five minutes with our chief and our, our, our staff or team leader trying to make calls and, and trying to act confident when they really didn't know what the heck they were doing. And that to me was arrogance and it was stupidity and it cost people's lives. Um, it did. If we were left in those first five minutes, I think you can ask anybody on the team, uh, Ambassador and Sean Smith would still be alive. And that's where huge arrogance got in the way or being underconfident but trying to per, per, trying to portray that you were confident and then not giving it to the guys that had been through so much and had the confidence because of all the failures that we'd have been through before and also of all the crisis situations that we've been through before trying to handle those situations and all the training that you go through being miserable at BUDS or Ranger Indoc or Pre-Ranger or being a Ranger School or being a new guy on a team. That was where the, uh, the arrogance and the really not being confident where they tried to, they tried to cover up. They, they should just give it to the guys that Hey, we're ready. We, we got this. We know what we're doing. And it wasn't just because we, we were born knowing what we were doing. It was because we had been through a lot up to that point, learning how to be confident, learning how to handle that situation. That was our area of expertise. 
And I don't say mine, I say our. It was the team's area of expertise and we could rely on each other. You have to know the difference between where you're overcompensating, that's a great word, overcompensating for for confidence or for overcompensating for, for uh, maybe a skill set that you don't know as well as you think you do. And then being able to give it to somebody that say, I need your help here. Um, that's confidence. When you can, as a leader, and that goes back to being tied in with leadership, when you're a leader and you can say, hey, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. I need your help. To me, that's confidence because you're, you're being able to, you're being able to show some vulnerabilities and you have to be able to show vulnerabilities if to be a good leader and to gain true confidence in yourself because, and in others. If you're able to say, you know what, gosh, dang it, I need help. That's confidence. And then the next time around, you don't need it because you, you learn from it. And it goes all the way back to learning and goes back to being accountable. I mean, it ties all in together. And that's what also ties into being a good good instructor, um, the ability to take a step back. And I've, I've been on, on a shooting ranges where a student knew something that I didn't. That was humbling. Getting out there and we're shooting and uh, we're shooting pistols. And um, it was a, I, and I forget the model. I wish I could remember. It was a model that I was not real familiar with. Now as an instructor, you go out and you're shooting pistols. You need to be familiar with, hey, I don't know what every model does. I don't. I'm not a gun porn guru. I don't read every gun. That's not what I do. You show me how to work a, uh, you show me how to work a weapon system. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it. But you were using a weapon that I wasn't familiar with, and the hold was was different than what I was familiar with. It wasn't a typical hold, and I went up and corrected, and they're like, "Oh no, this is how it should be." And they were right. They said that the hold was, it the thumbs and it was back thumb. It didn't matter. Thumbs together, thumbs crossed. There's different ways, and 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 a lot of guys shoot with the thumbs out. You can cross them if you want. Learn that in CQD. You can cross your thumbs and still be an effective shooter on a pistol. You can. And actually, when you hit with the pistol, you hold on to it, thumbs side by side. You might let it go when you, if you had to hit with your pistol. Well, <clears throat> again, what I'm getting at is this person and student showed me something I didn't know. Now, if I was an arrogant instructor, I would have, to this day, would have probably berated him or just walked away and said, oh, you're effed up. You know what you're talking about. I look like, well, I, and I did. I said, man, I, well, I feel about this big right now, but thanks for teaching me that. I appreciate that. And I learned from it. Um, that was confidence, and now, but again, it was a little bit humbling. You got to be able to be humbled to be confident. It's 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 a yin yang. You got to be able to be humbled to be confident. You got to be able to learn from others. You don't know everything. You don't, guys. You don't know everything. There's people out there that know more, and you learn from them. But then, when you learn that, put that in your kit. Goes back. Put it in your kit bag. Now you're smarter for it, and then your confidence grows. It's just it is a give and take. It's always rely on your brothers. You have to rely on the guy next to you, right and left to you. Uh, those situations, well, Ranger School, great area to train and relying on your brothers. I gave you the example of where I was freezing, you know, in that puddle, and I had still to do the op and be able, I did it to my best to get in my support position um, during mountain phase of Ranger School. Because if I didn't do my job, the guy that was getting graded, my squad leader, uh, my weapon squad leader at that time, which weapon squad leader per the lane we were running, he wouldn't have passed. So, you know, that's relying, he's relying on me. He's relying on me and I, I'm miserable. I'm cold. I don't want to be here. We've already, we're in mountain phase now too. We just got the mountain phase, finished bending phase. And, and I don't, <clears throat> I'm tired. I'm already tired and hungry. And I said, it's, it's winter time. It's getting to be Thanksgiving. I'm going to miss Thanksgiving. You know, there's a lot of things going through your head. And this is my, really my first time. You know, you go through rip, you suck. You, you go private range of town, you suck. But you can still go home at night. A rip, you know, at least you still get the weekends off if you do well. And sometimes you even get a night off, if you will. You know, ranch school, you're sucking. This is really my first time away 
where I felt like, because I was peacetime ranger. We weren't deploying all the time. So that was really my first time away from home. And I had just, honestly, I had just got married. I had actually got married at the courthouse. My honeymoon, I was at ranger school. I guess that can look at an obstacle too. So, um, you know, but putting all those things aside and he's relying on me to accomplish my job so he gets his pass so he doesn't have to go through range school again. So that is where you're starting to learn brotherhood. I mean, and guys that you may not even know. I didn't know the guy. He wasn't even from my unit. I think he was from 82nd. Um, but it's okay. That's that's your brother. He's trusted in me to do my job so he passes. So then when it's my turn to be a squad leader and he's in my squad, he's doing his job and he makes sure I pass. We're relying on each other. That's where the brotherhood, the bond starts to build right there. And it builds even in basic training, building in from a... Um, you know, I, I was very lucky, my basic training group, and I went, like I told you guys, I went through basic training twice, right? Yeah, that's great. Um, my first time through basic training, um, I had a, my best friend I played football with, he named Matt Selke, he went through basic training with me. We, we signed up together as a, as a, and we were in the same platoon, and realizing the brotherhood that we had together with that, we were able to show other guys how it was to work well together. You know, I'd known him since high school. We played high school football together, played college football together, went to the Army together. And there's a specific example, even in basic training, where brotherhood was was shown. Is that a, I remember, um, and I was a platoon leader, or platoon guide is what they call it. I was in charge of a basic, I was the head platoon guy in charge of the basic training platoon. Yeah, they always put guys in charge, the, the drill sergeants do. And I was pretty much a platoon guide almost all of that train training cycle. And it's it's tiresome because whenever the platoon does something bad, it's the platoon guide, we call them platoon guides, they get called. You know, I'm new to the Army, I'm learning it. Now it'd be no big deal, but now I'm learning it. So I'm, every time it's like, Prano, get down here, Prano, get down here. The drill sergeant's be yelling at me. And sometimes I think they just did it just because they like screwing with me. Like this, because I run down. Well, I'll tell you, it's towards the end of that basic training cycle, I was wore out. Now, we had been doing very well. We had a very good leadership platoon. Selkie had a guy named Chris Brown that was awesome. I had the, uh, Noah Thompson, another, he went to Ranger Battalion. Um, uh, Michael Obenshain went to uh, Ranger Battalion with me. We, I mean, a lot of that group at basic training platoon, a lot of those guys went and became Rangers out of that little platoon there. So we had a very blessed to have a very good platoon, but I was still wore out. Well, because we were good though, every once in a while we get you know, towards the end of a cycle, a basic training cycle, um, you can go to the PX, walk the PX. And uh, I remember there's one where I had to stay back. I couldn't go out onto the PX because I got had to, we had a guy that was not performing well and I chose to stay back and work with him on his PT because he wasn't passing his PT test. And he, he had to graduate. And um, I remember that night I laid down and was going to sleep. And as I'm sleeping, and people may think this is a little weird, I can't use the word queer, can I? I'm going to. Well, Matt, I didn't know it was Matt. I'm falling asleep. Like this. And all of a sudden, I feel somebody's hand on my face like this. And then he puts it where my mouth is. And then, he, But then all of a sudden, it's a ton of Skittles he put in my mouth. I was falling asleep, and we're not supposed to have Skittles, and he's hiding it. Don't I don't even care where he's hiding it. I don't even want to ask where he hid it. But Bollins is that he, he knew I... I, I needed something, and he just came and he put a bunch of Skittles. He walked by me, walked by me. I was about ready to fall asleep. He had a handful of Skittles that he smuggled into the barracks, and he put them in my mouth, and he walked off. And I was like, wow. You know, I was like, wow, that is so – he took care of me. I, was, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. He, 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 was, he knew I wanted to get – I couldn't go get candy because I 
and then we had the opportunity to do that the, the last part of basic training and I couldn't because I stayed back. So I think that was a great example of, of what brotherhood was even before I even went in the military. And then we had built it up through that time frame there. Another one was the second time I was in basic training. Um, is uh, I had a very good friend of mine and he awesome ranger. He was better ranger than I ever dreamed to be. His name is Alex Sines, um, Sergeant Sines. He again, he he is that guy worked his tail off from basic training up. I mean, I remember when we first got to basic training, I was like, this guy's never gonna. He said, oh, I'm gonna be a ranger. I'm gonna be a ranger. And I was like, no way. There's no way. You, you're too much of a wuss. You can't. He became a better ranger than I even hoped to be. Um, but I remember uh, I was a platoon guide for that one too. And of course, they're going to make a guy that had already had prior service in charge of the platoon of basic training. And that was even worse because a lot of the drill sergeants that time relied on me to teach the guys stuff. So I'm teaching 50 guys how to tie their boots, how to shine their boots. How, I mean, it's just, I'm not getting any sleep. Whenever there's a problem, they're not going to drill sergeants. They're coming to me. Well, again, towards the end of a cycle, I'm wore out. I'm tired and I'm angry. And I remember... Every time I'd lay down to go to sleep, somebody would come bother me, say, hey, Prano, can you help me? Can you help me with this? And I remember I laid down to go to sleep, and as I'm going to sleep, signs, I see my corner of my eye, he comes to put a sign on my bed, on my bunk. He's, up, he's on my top bunk, I'm in the bottom bunk. And um, I go to sleep. And I wake up the next morning, I go up and I look at the sign, it says, leave Prano the F alone, he needs to sleep. He put that on the bed for me, so everybody leave me alone. I think that's pretty cool stuff. I mean, I didn't expect that. I think that's that's brother you learn in the military. You watch out for each other. You watch each other's backs, and that was just basic stuff right there. And then, of course, as you go on within the military, when you get out of basic training and you go to airborne school, you help each other out. It's always helping your buddy out, your man to your right or left. Then you go to RIP, it's definitely, because now you're starting to do small unit tactics. You're starting to learn how to do squad attacks. You're starting to learn where you're relied on you to be in the right position to shoot the bad guy because if you're not in the right position, the rest of the platoon is going to die. You're also learning how to suck together. You're in the cold. You're learning that you probably need to snuggle with your buddy, and it may not be the most comfortable thing, but guess what? I'm going to snuggle with my buddy so I can stay warm. And believe me, I would always find the biggest guy to snuggle with because they were the biggest hot box. I didn't care. But that's brotherhood. That is, you're learning that brotherhood. And then, of course, Benghazi. I mean, that was 10 years of, of doing things over and over and over again. And me and Boone, we'd been in Afghanistan and Iraq together as well. There was a couple attacks when we were doing State Department contracts where he was the QRF element. My team got stuck and he would get his team out there to help me during couple IED attacks that we had in Baghdad in 2004. So I, you know, the Brotherhood was, it's always, it's continuously going. And that's just another example of, of things even before Benghazi. And then I said, Benghazi, even though the team had only been there for 30 days together as a team, it goes back, ties back again, your experience, your confidence, your, your, your mission, what your mission plan is, you know, what, what you tend to accomplish, what are the goals there? And for some reason, it's a blessing Everybody had that same mindset there. And it's very weird to get that within a 30-day period, but you could just tell we were just like this. And we needed that there in Benghazi because you could rely on your brother. Example there in Benghazi, a good example of that. Again, well, first the brotherhood, telling me and Boone, knowing that we're going to have to, if we get off the walls, we're going to go do it. And we're going to go probably have to fight into our deaths together, but we're going to do it. Another part was where, uh, and the movie portrays it okay. The book does a better job um, where I'm, we're getting this, the t second attacks coming. 
second attack at our annex, and I'm looking through my night vision, and I'm seeing guys move towards Oz and Tig's position. Well, I see there's this car drives up, and there's a guy gets out with his arm up. Now, my instinct is to turn and shoot. I turn and shoot this guy, though. Oz and Tig are screwed. Their position is wide open. That's where I have to cover. Interlocking sectors of fire. That's standard. That's that's you do it in the military. That's how you do it. And then Boone also has that sector, too. So I have to rely on Boone. So I'm... I want to self-preservation, shoot the guy that's coming out with his arm up because I'm thinking, oh crap, he's gonna throw a grenade at my position. If I do that though, I leave those guys wide open. So I hold and I just, I do, I, I did, I admit, I like, God, please shoot him, please shoot him. Like, And they did, that's brotherhood. I, I, I depended on them to do it. And then I stayed on my position and I, as soon as they shot him, explosion, and then the world opened up and we just start hammering him again. I, I remember uh, Oz even said this, um, that night when he got blown up, he actually tried to get up and still shoot. And he, he didn't realize his arm had been severed off. And, you know, I asked him, and he even told us, he, I said, hey, man, why, you know, what were you thinking? I, I want to get picking his brain. I've been ever hit by three mortars before. What, how did it feel? And really my question when it came out it was, hey, what was going through your head? And he said, I just didn't want to let you guys down. I think that says a lot for the Marines, too. Those guys are tough. I can give them a lot of gruff because I love giving Marines guff because one of my best friends is a Marine. But they're tough, and they will always – it goes back to sacrifice too. You don't want to let others down. You are willing to sacrifice yourself to not let your brothers down. It goes back to brother. That's how the book is – it's just all tied together. Um, you know, And that was where if somebody's relying on you, it's, it makes you want to improve and be the best that you can be so you don't let them down. Um, not because you want to be looked good in their eyes, just because in that sort of aspect, you you, you don't want them to die. <laughs> you want them to succeed and live. And, and that, that goes back to the very beginning of sacrifice. If you're willing to sacrifice yourself, then you, you're going to be successful. Um, if it's your time to go, though, it, it's your time. It's how God, that's how it works. God says, hey, this is your path. It's time. Okay. But you know what? Because you think like that, and I did. Um, if I die on this battlefield today, my die at peace with you. I would think that. If that was the case, then okay. And that allows you to fight better. Actually, your world opens up. You get into the flow. It's called your flow. Because you're, you're not worried about, I'm going to die here. Or about, I don't want to let this guy down. I know what I need to do. I'm going to shoot as many of those damn terrorists as I can. And... Let let whatever's going to take its course take its course, and you can enjoy everything. I said I enjoy that night. The, Michael Bay's the only one that could have done that movie, only one because he shows colors. That's what war looks like. It doesn't look like a lot of these other war movies. Not that they're bad. You know, I love Black Hawk Down. Good war movie. One Survivor. Good war movie. We were soldiers. The colors pop though. They didn't pop in those movies. In our movie, they did because that's what it looks like. Because your senses are. Sh I think that's what a lot of guys miss going overseas too because everything kind of feels dull when you come back, when you come back home. But it, it, and that just goes back to being strong, being confident, and realizing that things are going to look a little bit dull. It's okay though. You know, find something that excites you a bit and just draw on that every once in a while. People hear faith, they think it's just, it, it, that's what they think, Christianity. No, it's faith in yourself. Goes back to having confidence. Let's go back to your training. That goes back to to your planning or what your goal is. Are you accomplishing goal? Never quitting. That's faith in yourself. Faith in your brothers. We just talked about brotherhood. That's what it is. And that's when I do my talks. I said faith is more than just faith in God. It's faith in yourself and faith in your brothers too. But and and that is something where where you do have to believe in each other. And if you're in a team environment, you're believing in each other. That's what 
allows you to be successful. If you don't believe in each other, you, you won't be you won't be successful. If you don't believe in yourself, and again, that goes, what's the difference? Arrogance or confidence? Believing in yourself is not arrogance. Believing in yourself is confidence. Now, you can be a little bit arrogant. I am. Um, it's okay, but you don't want to overshadow your confidence with the arrogance. Um, but having faith in yourself allows you to be confident, so you can get in front of a group and talk if you need to, or you can go on an op and realize that you're going to do a good job and you're you're going to come home okay. I never was worried about dying on any sort of op that we did. Most of the time it was very clandestine anyway, but uh, uh, but went out, I, I was there, oh, this might be my last time that I, I, I come back in. It was, oh, let's go do that. I'm confident. I know what I need to do. Planning, we did a good job. All right, let's go, let's go run it. Come back and be good. Even that night, I wasn't. I really, I mean, I, I really wasn't. We, we're not coming back. I was like, we got, let's go do this. All right, let's go. And never worried about, eh, this might be the last time that I drive out of this compound. I think some guys might have thought that that night, but I, I know I didn't. Where I lost faith is, and I talk about it in my, in my I think I even, I, well, I don't know if it's in the book or not, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you right now that I do do my speeches this way though. Um, yeah, I, I told you that I had that instant where I did lose faith. I gave up, I quit. Um, I remember, you know, we did the book and, and of course, because I can talk, you know, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll be the, I'll be one of the faces and you can use my true name and I'll go on the media. And I just, we started doing the media, doing the Brett Bear stuff, did that week of things on Fox, did some CNN stuff, um, being the public figure. You know, in today's society, that's, everybody wants to be recognized, right? You want to have 5 million followers on Instagram. You know, you want to be, you want to be honored and, and be, I hated it. I hated it. I still hate it. Um, and because you don't, you don't do this job to be well known. I, I'm beyond, I, I'm, we're doing this, I'm, we're, I'm, we're having a good time. I could be very well without doing the media stuff, but it's necessary. Again, it helps people. Hopefully, I think it does. But at that time, I still wanted to work. But as a team, we made a decision to tell the truth, and this was the repercussions for it. Lost my job. I lost my clearance um, with the agency. Um, couldn't work anymore. In fact, we were told by the chief of support, if you guys do this, you guys are done. Hey, thank you, ma'am. It's fine. I knew it. We knew it. It wasn't like it was a surprise. Um, but, you know, you're welcome for saving your people. It's all right. Um, but we did it. And uh, and then we became public figures. And then, you know, people are signing up with book signings and saying thank you. And, that, and I hated it. Like, ah. And I did. I wanted to kill myself. I was going to when I got home. And then that little lady came into my life to say, hey, I believe you. Keep telling your story. I didn't realize that my path had changed. I was still trying to force myself down this path of me continually deploying and going overseas and doing what I need to do because I've been doing it for 10 years. I didn't realize that, oh, wait a second, I'm shifting. So I'm basically hitting a roadblock and I'm trying to go through it. I can't. And like, I'm done. I'm, I'm through. I hate my life. This sucks. I, I'm miserable. I'm one of these guys that says, look what I did. Look what I did. I hate it. I didn't want to be that guy. And I gave up. I did. And then, but then the, I said, just uh, faith. I didn't realize that, but God, little lady came in and she says, hey, are you Tano? And I was at Dallas. It was the DFW at the airport. I was, waiting, I was flying home. And um, from a book signing at a Barnes & Noble in Plano, Texas, like 600 people showed up at a book signing. And, um, so, you know, I'm supposed to be happy, right? Everybody knows who I am. And um, 
wasn't wasn't happy. But she says, I believe you. She goes, to keep telling your story. And uh, that little bit is what, so, you know what, I, what I've been preaching, what I've been thinking my whole life, I just almost did exactly the opposite of what I believed my whole life, and that was I gave up. I kept hitting an obstacle instead of, I couldn't go through it. I had to figure out a way around it. And the way around it was, here's this path now. This is where you're supposed to be. Have faith. This is what God wants you to do right now. Have faith in yourself. You can do this. And this is before we even really got to, I just got to be a public speaker. Um, we were just mainly doing book signings. And I, I didn't know if I could get in front of a crowd. And I, I thought I could. Obviously, I can now. But I didn't know that that was the route it was going to go. And I just had kind of given up and had to have somebody... God basically had to bring a lady to kick me in the pants and get over there. This is where you need to be. And it, it's worked out. It's beneficial now. So, um, yeah, that's what I tell guys. You're going to want to give up. I've been there. I know. You, and you just have to continually just keep moving forward. Eventually, something or someone will come in your life and it'll all just click. Like, oh, okay, I got it. And I'm glad I'm on this path. I'm I'm very happy where where I'm at right now. I mean, I, the media stuff, uh, it's a necessary evil. I'm good at it because I can talk in front of a camera, obviously. I'm good at speaking in front of a crowd because I don't get nervous. I can tell stories, and because of a continually the continual repetition of speaking, and every time I get done speaking, I go back to my room and I do an AR, after-action report, a review or a report in my head, after-action report, whatever you want to call it, guys. Um, an AR saying, okay, what did I do wrong? How do I improve this? What do I need to do to tell a story and affect people more positively? And I do that every time. Not less more, less now because I think I finally am just getting now. It's instinctive, kind of like when you shoot enough times, it becomes instinctive. Um, you just you can just raise up and shoot. Um, but you know, at that time, I'd I'd given up. I had faith though. I lost a little bit of it, but because I think if you have faith in yourself and you have faith in God and you have faith in brothers, even when you give a little bit of that faith away it's going to come back to you. Somebody's going to bring it back to you. It may be the man upstairs. So that's, I think that's where the faith comes from. And that's the example. Um, and I think it's, a, I hope it's a good example. When I tell guys that, that have post-traumatic stress or feel like giving up, some of, some of them, and I don't know if all of them have, but some have come to me and said, I'm glad you said that because I was afraid to say that to somebody in private and you just did that in public in front of however many people. You know, I can go talk to somebody now about what I'm going through. So hopefully it helps. I think I think so. But you you, you know you, if it doesn't, it doesn't. I think it's helped a few people here and there, and it's therapeutic for me a bit. But faith is extremely important. Um, but it's the three: yourself, your brothers, and God. I tell, but I'm a good Christian too. A good Christian doesn't condemn people for not believing in God. I just say, okay, if you don't believe in God, believe in something. There's something out there. It doesn't have to be God. I don't care if you believe that. That it's that tree over there. Something's out there, and, and you have to have faith that there's something else that's that's drawing you and guiding you. That's where it comes from. It's it's not the it's not the hardest to explain. It's it's very simple. Um, the lady she she gave help. I was willing to talk to her, even though initially I was leave me the f alone. But I was like, get help. I I was able to listen to her just that little bit. Uh, you know. I always tell people, and this is what I'm actually doing too as a speaker, I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting help because it's therapeutic. People are listening to me, um, and, and that's, that's therapeutic. I mean, they're, they're allowing me to tell a story, one of my stories, and vent to, basically it's what I, when I get them to, I'm venting to them as a, as a speaker, but I'm also 
Uh, so I'm giving, I feel like I'm, I'm getting help from them because they're listening to me and let me vent. But then also I feel like I'm giving help because sometimes people will come to me and say, you know what, I, I, I hear you. I, I'm going to go either talk to, uh, 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 talk to somebody about what I'm going through or this was in Myrtle Beach actually. Uh, I did this little, it was itty bit. Nobody knew I was going to be. It was right when I first started. I think there were maybe 10 people showed up at this little restaurant and um, in Myrtle Beach. And um, I did a little talk, you know, and it was fun. And this was 13 hours. The the, uh, the book was out. The movie hadn't come out yet. Um, and uh, one of the guys was, there's a gentleman in there that was afraid to go get surgery, had to go get heart surgery. And I told my story. And and he came up to me after, I remember. And uh, this is actually pre-Judy. This is for publicist here before she came on. This was pre-Judy. And um, he came up to me and he said, uh, he says, you know, I'm going to go get this surgery done. You've, if you can go through all that, I can be brave enough to go get my surgery done. And luckily, he's a friend with, uh, with one of my Ranger buddies out there, David Floyd, so I know that it went successful, and he was all right. Uh, David Floyd is, again, he's a, he's a warrior and is all right. David Floyd was a Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down Ranger, TF Ranger guy. Great. And again, a great, great friend and another mentor that I had that I can call and say, hey, man, I'm going through this because he understands. He, he's, been, he's been there been there he's done that um but that's another example of he chose to listen to me i gave help not even knowing that i was giving him any help and he was able to take it um my thing biggest thing i had getting help was the ability to step back because i when i was going through my issues um i had some issues of anger anxiety um hated you know hey was i did a spend a year in iraq and i stayed there. actually that was my choice i could have come home and i was i was didn't want to come home i was i loved being there and i came back after a year and my son was one now and uh i i was, I was angry i i didn't i didn't know how that it was really the first time that i had really been gone for that length of time and it was by my choice and it was as a contractor. And so I didn't have anybody telling me I had to stay there. It was, it was so I, I lost touch a little bit and I became very angry, very jaded. Um, the adrenaline, you know, I, I, I craved it, but I didn't, I didn't know that I craved it at that, you know, I was just, it, I was learning. It was a very, lear, it was 2004, very early learning experience for me how to deal with the situations. And I had it for, Two more years, and finally, my and, and again, my 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 <laughs> felt terrible. Saying, my second ex-wife, and she's a doll. She's an angel. She is. She she's really, she's a saint for putting up with me for so many years. But she came up to me. She goes, "You you're scaring me." She goes, "Something's not right." I I didn't see it. I said, like, "Nah, hell." And all of us guys are like, "No, oh, no, I'm not. I'm good. I'm good." That's how I was. Like everybody, every other alpha alpha male out there. I'm good. I can handle it. Well, eventually, yeah, we got a point where. From when my son was one till he became three, um, you know, I was changing. And maybe my, my mom was saying, but it was my ex. It was uh, Tanya. She really said, hey, you, you're scaring me. She could, and she didn't give me the ultimatum, I'm going to leave you. That wasn't it. Was, she didn't have did that. She's just like, well, you, you need to go see somebody. And finally, I just, you know, you, know, you women, just nagging. I'm sorry, I'm glad you edit that out. Um, just nagging at me. I was like, fine, I'll go do it. And luckily, the Omaha VA, Omaha's an outstanding hospital. Omaha supports its veterans, or Nebraska supports its veterans. It does. And they had a good, they had a behavioral, <clears throat> health and behavioral, behavioral lab, or what's it called? It's called a, 
it's a clinic. It's where you go see uh, a counselor. And, and I went and saw a counselor, and I saw another one for post-traumatic stress. And it just was that little bit talking to them, and they listened to me, and I realized it, it helped. And that was where I had to go get help. I had to swallow my pride and say, you know what, I'm not, I, I need help. I'm not strong enough to handle this on my own. And I granted, I had to have, I had to have uh, somebody you know, that loved me push me that way, which is good. You, you listen to your loved ones. If you have the opportunity, if your loved one says, hey, this is what I'm seeing from the outside, you need help, get it. All right. And, uh, but it took a little bit. It was, again, another humbling experience, but that goes back to having confidence. Okay, I have confidence. I, I'm a, I, okay, I'll be humbled. I'll swallow my pride. And it helped me. I, I was able to handle it. And yeah, 2007 is when you know, I finally, I, 2006, 2007 is when I finally did my last, last time I've seen a, a counselor. I, I've come in, I've gone in if I haven't, just to talk every once in a while. But I have a pastor, real good pastor there in Omaha that I'll talk to too now. Um, but it really, I, it just focused me. It's like, I was, I'm, I'm having issues. I'm going, I'm going off the slope. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a, a, a danger to my family because <laughs> I'm always angry. And um, it worked. It worked, and, and I continued to play with it six more years, and then now I've done how many talks. I've had it for... That's another thing I, the book goes through is it tells people, and also when I speak, um, that I've had it for this long. I've been able to deploy with it for six years. I went through a life-changing, and I went through a lot of life-changing events, but I went through Benghazi, Libya for with it. And I still, and I didn't go up to the top of a freaking building and start sniping people. I, I'm, I can, you can handle it. You just have to be willing to go seek help and talk to people when you need to. It's like now, now if, I mean, I can go back to the, to the behavioral, behavioral clinic there if I want to in Omaha and talk, but I have my pastor now to talk to. And also now I know what the signs are. Now I know when I'm starting to feel and I'll reach out to my friends. I'll reach out to Boone. I'll reach out to, um, yeah, I'll reach out to Jack if I, if I or even just saying, "Hey, I'm hey, hey, how you doing?" And he'll say, "Hey, how are you, brother? Are you good?" And I said, "Roger, I'm good." And that's all I need. Now I I know I can recognize it, but it takes the ability to step off your high horse and go get help first, and then like anything else, what is it, what's what is what are the things that might indicate the drivers for it? Um, what might lead you down that path when you start feeling that way? What do you do to to try to remedy it and make it go away? Um, at least for that time being, or how do you accept it? And also you have to gain acceptance that it's in your life, that you have some stressors um, in your life and that you've accomplished things that other people only dream of and make movies out of. And don't look at it as a burden, as a negative burden. Look at it as a, as a positive. It is. It's a positive um, that, that you have accomplished things that people make movies of. I can say that with all honesty now. So that's where it, it is giving and getting help, but then also being open. And if, if somebody comes and you says, hey, I, I need to talk, listen to them. Don't just roll your eyes like, oh, here they go again. You have to listen to them, and it might save somebody's life. You never know. But that, that's, that's really in a nutshell. And that's why the end of the book is like that, because it goes through everything that you need to do, really, that you, not say need to do, but that you can do that I've done, mistakes-wise, and also the ability to be successful, um, and then also, okay, sometimes that doesn't always work and you still may hit a roadblock. What do you do at that point in time? Do you give up? No, you, you continue to fight on. You never quit. Go find some help. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody that may know more than you. Talk to somebody that's been there before. Um, 
uh, I, I've been able to talk to a lot of Vietnam vets that those guys are wealth of information on how to deal with stress because they did come back. They were left behind and they didn't get the help that we did, that we, we do, guys like myself do. And they've found, had to find ways to overcome it. Go, you know, best place, a lot, I tell a lot of guys, best place to go if you really want to talk is go to a VFW or an American Legion. And they want to hear your stories too. And then your brothers, even though you're 30 years apart from, actually longer than that, 40 years apart from when your, your, your wars were, you walk in there and you feel like you're at home. I love talking to those guys. And they like hearing my stories. And then you're able to see how they've handled it. And then you're also, man, these guys, this guy's been dealing with it for 45 years. He's been going through hell in his head and he's, he's okay. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he's good. He knows how to, and I would say, how do you deal with that? What do you, what do you do? Or I would just watch him and admire him. I'm like, man, that guy's tough son of a bee. If he can do it, I can do it. Maybe some youngsters will look at me that one day and like, man, he can get through it. I can get through it. Hopefully they can, they, they can take away that uh, even some knucklehead like me can get through and get through a lot of adversity. And again, I, I wasn't born on the wrong side of the tracks. My pam, family wasn't dirt poor. My mom and my dad, they, you know, they were they were lower middle class, working the way up to middle class. But also, I, you know, I go through just daily, went through daily things in my life up to the point to where I joined the Rangers, to setback after setback after setback, and I learned how to overcome it. Um, the book also touches on I have Crohn's disease. That's why I got out of the military in 2003. I was medically discharged. I didn't want to. It's like, hey, uh, you have Crohn's disease? We didn't know that. Special, we hid that. In the Ranger community, hid it. SF community, we hid that. But when I went through officer's basic course, Big Army found out. There's another difference between special operations, so common, Big Army. Big Army found out, what are you in the military for? I had a really bad flare-up where I actually lost a lot of weight. Had a bad episode. And they just gave me a choice. Finance or you can dis. We'll rebranch you. To finance, you can be a finance officer, or well, you can medically discharge. <laughs> That's, I'm not going. Are you kidding me? I said medical discharge, and that was a, That was another setback. Luckily, uh, faith, contracting world just came out. I don't came out of nowhere. Blackwater and Triple Canopy called me within 24 hours. I mean, I was out for about six months at the time, but then within a 24-hour period, when the contracting world started going, the Bastard Bremer started to get protected and. Triple Canopy and Blackwater called me within a 48-hour period. Blackwater called me first. That's why I said it just came out of nowhere. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do. Again, it's it, but it, it, it's just it's it's what don't people take out? There's setbacks just even in your normal life, and also in your military career possibly. But you can apply it at all. And you, all you have to do is you have to continue to go forward. As long as you continue to move forward, good things will happen. I promise you that. Um, they may not happen overnight. It may be. It may be a year, maybe two years, but you have to continue to persevere. That's what people will take out of it. And also, again, it's it's it is therapeutic for me, even though it was difficult to do it. it this book was a lot more difficult to do than thirteen hours, but um, it's it was therapeutic for me. Um, and again, if it can help one person, and you hear this all the time from guys like trying to, but it, we're, we're we're being serious, honest. If we can help one person reduce that, so they don't kill themselves veteran or otherwise, especially on the veteran side where you lose 22 veterans to suicide a day. If we can make that 21 to 20 to 19, then it's a benefit. Um, I think it will. But if I never know, I never know, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give back as best I can to the community that gave me so much. And I don't think I deserved 
much of it at all. But here I am, so let's just keep moving forward. Patio. MakeReady.tv is the official website of Pantier Productions and features over 5,000 segments from world-famous instructors. With new video titles added each month, MakeReady.tv is widely known as the Netflix of firearms training. However, we really do go beyond that. We have survival series. We have empty hands. We have edged weapons. We cover armorer skills. We've done documentaries, even medical and hunting. With your subscription, you will have access to an extensive library of videos. To be quite honest, we got a lot. Be sure to visit MakeReady.tv and subscribe today to stream our exclusive content to any device, anywhere, anytime. This is Kyle.